my dog actually peed on some of the fabric once a sort of <laughs> roll of Dutch's silk so he was sort of banned from the work group and we had to start again so lesson number one you know, dog, etiquette. Yeah. <laughs> These are the behind the wardrobe facts that we live for. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Art of Costume Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Joy Glass. And I am Sir Thomas Sharp's nosy neighbor, Spencer <laughs> Williams. Hello, we Elizabeth. would be the nosy neighbors of Crimson Peak. Oh my gosh, can you imagine? Can you imagine? All right. We live back then and we like live on the adjoining estate, but we can like see the house. Oh yeah. The can most you imagine drama. us? We would have binoculars, Spencer. We would be we'd be watching them. I would be infatuated with Lucille. You would be stalking yes. Thomas and you and I would yes. be like, you know, those two siblings are really, really close, Elizabeth. They're so yeah, we'd be like, they're weirdly close. And what who are all these women that they keep bringing in? I never see them leave. <laughs> I'd be taking baked goods on the reg. Uh, yeah. Just like, this is how they're staying alive without having any money. I just keep bringing them food. I would be very nervous to bring any baked goods to Crimson Peak. Um, Elizabeth, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, everybody. I hope you either had a very spooky activity filled weekend or have something fun planned for tonight. Although it is a work night. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Tuesday. Uh, but how exciting. I mean, just to sit at home and pass out candy to strangers' children. I mean, I couldn't think of a more exciting night than tonight. I mean, I live too much in the middle of nowhere to do that. But yeah, like if yeah, I did. Same. No one comes to my I, house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when they do, they look very scared because my lights are off. And they're like, I don't know. I don't know if this is a real uh, thing. I don't know. I and don't it think they got help candy in there. I come out in a hoodie and I look like Smeagol from the Lord <laughs> of the Rings. So <laughs> you want some candy children? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm very excited. It's Halloween. Have we actually had a episode come out on Halloween? I'm not sure, but um, this just I don't feels know. right. It does feel right. I don't think so. Cause we, this is the third season. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm, so, because mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. Halloween's been like Sunday Monday right. the past two years. Oh yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that is yeah, how yeah. calendars work. Yeah, got it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but what a great spooky season we've had. I mean, I know. Starting off with Aggie Rogers, which you know, bucket list moment interview with Absolutely. the vampire. I've been really obsessed with vampires ever since then. Same. Um, <laughs> Penny Dreadful. Like I can't stop we've talking been about to talk Penny about Dreadful that forever. Yeah, truly. It's I've actually started watching it again, Elizabeth. I just 
it's now my new comfort show, which isn't very comforting. Uh, but. Yeah. I actually, I think I might watch it again too. I don't know. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Sleepy Hollow, which I finally saw after, I don't know, 28 years of life. So yeah. Still shocked you hadn't seen it before. <laughs> yeah. It blows my mind. It's just, it's been a year. Uh, it's, yeah. it's been <laughs> the spooky season. <laughs> it feels like it's been a year, but, uh, Man, Elizabeth, I'm excited about this episode, though. Oh, do we have a trick or treat for you all? (laughs) So this week, we not only watched a Art of Costume podcast favorite, Crimson Peak, me and Spencer interviewed costume designer Kate Holly. Yes. I am so excited for y'all to hear this interview, mostly because it's been about a year and a half in the making. I know. (laughs) Like, literally, it took us so long to get this interview because she's a busy woman. She she's not taking much time off. She's always doing something. Very busy designing some of the best costumes to ever exist. Um, We were actually going to do this episode the last Halloween, but she was busy on a project, which still very excited about so when it finally happened elizabeth and i as soon as she had room in her schedule elizabeth and i recorded the interview you're about to listen to i think in march of 2023 (laughs) so you're gonna be listening to two younger (laughs) spring chickens (laughs) (laughs) the winter's ending we're excited for spring yeah we're excited for summer (laughs) i mean we're two different people but we just we just really want to do this episode because I love Crimson Peak. I, you actually introduced it to me on a podcast. And I now did. it's like a regular addition to my rotation. And you all can't imagine how hard it has been for us to sit on this interview until Halloween. So I'm actually very proud of us because we've almost blown it multiple times. We have. We have. <laughs> there have been times we're like, should we just should we just release that? Yeah. But no, <laughs> we stuck to our original plan. <laughs> And here we are today, Spencer, for those who don't know about Crimson Peak, could you want to give a little summary? I would love to. Crimson Peak follows Edith Cushing, an aspiring author who travels to a remote Gothic mansion in the English hills with her new husband and his sister, Thomas and Lucille. Very nice people. There she must decipher the mystery behind the ghostly visions that haunt her new home that breathes and bleeds and remembers beware of crimson peak (laughs) and that is crimson peak that is crimson's peak if you haven't seen it go watch it i don't know what you're doing Mm -mm. go watch it it's so good it's so worth it it's so good i still remember that when i had it because i think it was on our very first spooky season it was yeah and you were just like what's this (laughs) i also was deathly ill too (laughs) so i felt like i was having a fever vision the entire time and i snapped out of it and i still loved it without the fever vision yes (laughs) and it is worth it because we are gonna go behind the costumes we have director guillermo del toro costume designer kate holly whose notable work is pacific rim edge tomorrow suicide squad and the lord of the rings the rings of power tv series for which she has a emmy nomination 
And also, she has something upcoming, Elizabeth. She does. She has. I am very excited for this, Spencer. She will be working on Guillermo del Toro's Frankenstein. That's going to be good. That has to be good. I'm so excited. I'm so excited, especially for him to be taking over like the universal monsters. I'm like, yes, sir. Yeah, please. I, and Guillermo del Toro, we trust. I think he's really yes. become, I think, my favorite director in recent times. Just you've really I've really gone on to appreciate just every work, you know, like what is a thread yeah. line between all these films that I love? I mean, it's him. Guillermo yeah. del Toro, Kate Holly, Louis Cicada, this like this trinity of amazing artisans coming together. It just always works. Absolutely. And I like that. Like you can always tell like something is directed by him, but I feel like unlike a lot of other directors who it's like, there's a very clear, like this is my style. He like changes it up. Mm -hmm. He like always goes with like what's best for the story. Oh yeah. Cause it's like, Pacific Rim and Crimson Peak, like you can both, you can like, they're absolutely both Guillermo del Toro movies, but you're like, nah, these look different. (laughs) (laughs) They're slightly different (laughs) in terms of the content. (laughs) Uh, But I am so excited for y'all to listen to this interview. Um, This is actually the interview you're about to listen to was our first interview with Kate Holly. But since then um, I've really gotten to know Kate Holly this past year. I, interviewed her at the costume designers guild when we talked about the lord of rings the rings of power my very first in-person uh speaking conversation so i was very nervous but uh i just grew to love kate holly i felt so comfortable with her and she is hilarious and just such a wealth of knowledge too when it comes to costume uh so you're all gonna fall in love with her and then i traveled to san diego comic-con to also talk with kate holly about uh, the Lord of Rings, Rings of Power once again. So we have kind of developed like this traveling clown show over the past year. So <laughs> excited for you all to get like a little sneak peek of what that show has been like. Um, so we're very thankful to Kate Holly for being on the podcast. And I'm excited for you all to listen to it. Yes, everybody enjoy our interview with Kate Holly. And when it's done, make sure you stick around because then we need to talk about what's happening next week. So don't go anywhere. Yes. All right, everyone, I am so excited to finally introduce one of our heroes, costume designer, Kate Hawley. Kate, thank you so much for joining. Right, you picked a good time to get me out of bed. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny, me and Kate were messaging and I was like, hey, let's do this on Sunday. And as I start doing the math, I'm like, oh no, wait, that's actually my Saturday. But you know, it worked out. It worked well for me, so sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's perfect for us too. I'm just bad with math. Um, Anyways, we're so so excited to talk about Crimson Peak. This is one of our favorite films. Actually, Elizabeth is the one who forced me to watch it a few years ago, yes. and now I can't <laughs> stop talking about it. It's like the classic date night. I want to watch a romantic gothic movie. Yeah. <laughs> yep. go, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. He was. He kept being like, really? 
you want to watch that for the podcast? And I was like, absolutely. One of my favorite movies of all time. So yes, we are going to watch it. Yeah. And when we did that episode, I was so sick. And I still was like, Elizabeth, we have to do this episode. I don't care. I'll get out of bed. <laughs> I'm wondering where that was going. Yeah. <laughs> no, not. Mean? What does this mean with youth today? I am so sick. Is, there, is that another word, phrase, or something? No, I mean, I was running like a hundred and one fever. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, well, he was just you. like, gotta That's talk great. about it. Some people would have absolutely chucked up during this. So yeah. <laughs> well, okay. I'm so excited to get into this, but let's kind of start with the bigger picture. You know, Crimson yes. Peak is by far. My favorite Guillermo del Toro film, I could think, yeah, it's definitely my favorite. <laughs> it's haunting, disturbing, tragically beautiful. It's a masterpiece. So you've worked with Guillermo before. So what is your collaboration like with Guillermo del Toro? I, I, well, I can say, I mean, I had a, a crush on him from, from years ago too, sitting, I was doing an opera and I was watching Pan's Labyrinth. It's my first experience of Guillermo, yeah, me too. And I just remember sitting there watching going, oh, what a dream it would be to work with that director. And then shit happened. <laughs> and it was amazing. Um, uh, but you're, the, the, we'd had some experience together. Um, you know, I was with him when he was um, concepting the early stages of The Hobbit when he was involved in that, in the Hobbit movies. And so we got to know each other very well. And wonderful Peter had actually introduced us and it was actually um he just brought Guillermo down this corridor I was kept in corridors a lot at the time <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Pete, in his wonderfully quiet um wonderful way sort of sort of tiptoed in with his bare feet and so I said oh I'm just bringing Guillermo in and um I'd never met Guillermo before and um actually I had all this working stuff on the boards that I was working on another project and Guillermo went straight to my bookshelf and he looked at my bookshelf and he said, we can work together. You know, I think my bookshelf had Goya, Joel Peter Wick, and, you know, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of really popular novels and photographic books on my shelf. But um, it was an understanding that there was a common language. And um, so we did, um, you know, a bit of work together on The Hobbit, which was an amazing experience. And um, and then um, he went on to do um, Pacific Rim, which was a very different sort of project. And I just got this phone call and he said, hey, do you want a bit of fun? Do you want to just come and play? And and look, I think everyone who's worked with Guillermo would say when he says come and have a play, um, that does mean a lot of fun. And, and it was yeah, like, oh, that I'm means broken. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally <laughs> means yes. And it's like he always says little things like it's just a period movie or it's just about robots. And you know that it's never, you know, there's a whole world that um, unfolds in the process of creating these things. And 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 it is a joyous thing to work with him. I can truly say that. And um, you know, he he's a the most benevolent dictator in a, a wonderful old fashioned way. <laughs> Um, I love the hierarchy of it, but but he's he's a genius, and um, I think he he's an artist himself, and I think he treats his crew like artists as well. And I think in a world that's become more and more commercial, and we jump even higher, and it's quite a machine these days. It's wonderful to be working with someone like him who values that, and they're not many. So. Um, for sensitive people <laughs> like myself, it's quite lovely to have that and be in a fold of wonderful collaborators and things. So that's that's how we got going. And Crimson Peak, um, you know, you know, you leave a project with Gemma and you say, oh, I've got another project coming and you hope that you'd be invited and that. And then he sort of said, oh, I've got this, um, you know, 
Victorian piece research, you know, showed me some picture start research and he says, just a, you know, a little period Gothic film. Again, <laughs> you know, understatement of the year. And, um, <laughs> and, and, and then we embarked on the process. So it was, um, uh, a wonderful thing and and he was um very generous and thoughtful and brought me on quite early because of the way he collaborates and that so I was surrounded by you know led by um Guillermo but surrounded by Tom who was our production designer and Guy Davis and Oscar Ciccioni and so part of that you know you to be in early on the process and have the um discovery and research side of things is the absolute luxury, but it's also the most important part of the process because you're at that point um, picking up things and distilling and discarding and all of that. So I find it the most invaluable part of the whole process, really. Once you're running, you're running, but this is the magic time. So I'm always deeply appreciative when I'm brought in as, as early as that to start the collaboration. Right. I mean, it's a beautiful collaboration. And that kind of leads me into my next question. You know, Crimson Peak is very vast and expansive, but the overall film is really close and intimate, I would say. So what was the collaborative process like between you and the actors, um, Edith, Thomas, Lucille? Um, well, it's an interesting thing. And again, we were lucky because I'd say these days there's so much going on. You're lucky to get your actors two days before. Um, <laughs> but I main cast, Tom, they think, I think they'd all, uh, Tom and Mia had been in, um, oh, the wonderful Jim Jamush um, vampire. Um, uh, you have to forgive my age. I can't remember the name of it, but one of my favorite <laughs> films. Anyway, they were in Toronto, all three of them for the Toronto Festival. And, you know, I, I start off always my process talking with Guillermo. He gives a sort of character Bible, you know, this is how he sees characters. And then also um, it's my job to, um, you know, uh, deeply go into the script and and sort of work out things myself and, and you know, um, know the script as well as the actors do. But I always start for myself uh, um, with a series of mood boards and that that for me are sort of sort of, links through the story and visual cues and things like that and and I pull together images for each character and they're very varied some of those research images come from paintings of the period or um, sculptures or art or sometimes it's a more organic feeling about um, environment temperature um, you know so my images are very uh, expansive and I had a few for each of these on the board just to get conversation going because you know I work in at the beginning I work in my own isolation in response to the script and then you know um, then you know uh, the next stage is Guillermo's going well this is how I see it shaping and so you always come with a vision of your own and then you're adapting it because your job is to fill um the actors uh, the director's vision I, I wouldn't say um come with a vision of my own but you have responses to it and um Jessica and Tom and Mia came into the room um because they were giving us some time from their schedule and they all looked at all these images and each of them had very different responses and I think it's a fascinating part of this process in terms of imagery that all of us can look at an image you know if I if we were all looking at um a famous painting we'd all see something different in it and respond to it differently or it would mean something to us and I think a part of my job is to really listen to that and see what they're seeing you know whether it's my director as in Guillermo here or and I remember Jessica looking at an image and it was a woman and all you see saw was her face her pale face and she said that is um Lucille 
Oh, yeah. And Tom, I had another image of Tom, and he said, he laughed, and he said, oh, you know, they always, it was one of Caspar David Friedrich's, um, you know, beautiful image of a man with his back to us in the ocean. He said, you know, everyone finds that image for me. And it's, it's fascinating, this thing, <laughs> but if they can each have, it's such an important thing to be, make the actors part of this process, because you're always integrating a little bit of who they are as a person and their qualities, plus what they bring to the character. But for them to, um, you know, put a stake in the ground going, even if it's one thing, it might be a prop or a costume prop or one element. And for them to be part of that gives you a place to start the process and go. And then it's about collaboration and working with them. And I think if, if you don't do that often, if you don't have the luxury of time to do that, it often creates more problems because suddenly they're just thrown all this stuff. So if you can allow them to be as much a part of the process, and Guillermo's brilliant like that, you know, and he'll have lots of meetings with them and his own time with them discussing character. They'll come with ideas. I've got ideas, even the props um, department, you know, so it's a, it's a massive collaboration to get there. And then, um, you know, you could look at the character one way, but they might find another element that completely changes the way you look at that character or a moment or, um, you know, looking through the script and the arc, you know, what are the important beats for them? And maybe you start there. Maybe that's the image of the character that you start from and then you're working backwards. So it's a big process. That's a long answer for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, perfect. <laughs> I love that. And one character certainly worked out for is Edith, especially at the beginning. She is very established in her life. Things are going fairly well for her. And that is seen in her opening costume. She looks very put together, business, yeah. detail oriented. What were you trying to establish with these opening looks? Okay, well, there's two things. And, and Gemma always had this image of Edith as a writer. And um, I think those are his sort of heroic versions of women. And um, at this time period, and it's set in Buffalo, so it's a very different world to the old world of England. And um, you've got wealth in, you know, um, new places. You know, you've got your, um, is it they call the robber barons? You know, you've got your Carnegies and all those big families with great wealth, industrial wealth and things. And also you've got at this time period when I, you know, I do my research based on the time period as well. Mm -hmm. And then I throw all that shit out. But um, excuse my French. Um, but um, <laughs> Edith is sort of representative of a new modern woman as opposed to mm -hmm. the older world of Lucille and that, you know, this is definitely in New Zealand. The women had the vote at this point. This is the suffragette um, era. Um, machines come in and make clothing. Um, women take a more practical view on their working dress. They're riding bicycles. They're echoing men's suits and things like that. So, um, and, you know, even um, skirt pants and all these things. The, the women's clothing shifts hugely at this point. And so that was a huge part of her sort of, you know, trying to be the independent um, writer in a man's world and, and representing the modern woman of the time. So um, her silhouette, um, definitely um, reflects that and also there's a, a big part of the color palette you know um, color is a massive thing with Guillermo in this world he wanted an enriched sort of golds and tobacco shades and things like that so you know every element of of this costume reflects what Guillermo wanted to see in the world of Buffalo and with Edith. I love that um, especially because <laughs> Oh, it's I so like... short time to build that. <laughs> Kate's getting flashbacks right now. <laughs> Jumping to the McMichael ball. This is definitely a, a new kind of woman in this area. 
And it seems like a new chapter for her starts this night. Uh, can you talk about this look? Absolutely. I mean, I, I it was, um, again, I looked at lots of paintings of the period. I think I even based this maybe off a of Boldini period, but Guillermo mm. really wanted her to feel like, you know, like the the fairy tale princess at the ball coming in. You know, he wanted her to be the the center of that. So that was the an initial brief and the sort of you know the sort of feeling of petals opening and that. And and again, we still have there's another element to this costume: the black sash on the back. And there's always this presence of mourning with her clothes, and you know that's um, everywhere um, in that world. So that that's where that dress came from so every every dress in the show ended up having a name and my wonderful um assistant designer at the time we, we were trying to get our heads around the script and so that's why we came up with a system of names you know the Nancy Drew dress and you know all of these different dresses so that's how I remember that show it became a, a show about dress names <laughs> <laughs> you said you had a short time to work on this one specifically do you remember was well, how I, long I that was <laughs> Uh, well, you know, I think, well, the red dress we did for Lucille was three weeks, you know, and, and which and, is wild. Well, it, 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 you know, if you've got a schedule that's got a lot of other things going on, it, it can be. And I think this was one of those ones that, you know, we've been so busy on the others because of where you're, you know, the, the practicalities of a shooting schedule and that change all the time and, and more, more so. So sometimes you're left with very little time and, um, I think my dog actually peed on some of the fabric once a sort of <laughs> roll of Dutch's silk. So he was sort of banned from the workroom and we had to start again. So, uh, so lesson number one, you know, well, dog these, etiquette. <laughs> these are the behind the wardrobe facts that we live for. Oh man. So Sir Thomas Sharp Baronet, played by the Tom Hiddleston, who yeah. we're Big, big fans of over here, especially Elizabeth. Um, very fancy, and I wish I could dress like him every day. His black fabrics look so expensive. He really knows how to put on the charm when we first meet him. So what are you trying to convey when we first meet him? I didn't him? have to do anything. You know, when you first meet Tom Hiddleston, he does that. I remember him walking <laughs> into um, the workroom, and he was looking at, you know, just the stuff that we'd gathered and that. And he, he looked at us all with his shining blue eyes and he was young Thomas, you know, he was this sort of, you just looked at him and, and went, wow, you know, his whole energy and that was um, beautiful like that. But the whole thing of the Sharp siblings was that, um, you know, we learn, this is no spoilers now, but we learn that they murdered parents and um, uh, Guillermo really wanted, you know, the whole idea came from them being dressed in their in the wardrobe of their parents' clothes. It was almost like mm. the attic sort of world. Oh, so I didn't he, know that. Yeah, represents a different um, era, his clothing as well as Lucille's, much more the 1880s, 1870s. But of course, being a Guillermo film, there's allowances made for um, period sort of um, thing, which doesn't always appeal to the purists um, in that way. But Guillermo's work's more dreamlike than that. So I, I tend to let go of certain aspects and use period stuff when it's always use that as a starting point. But the character takes over from that point. And he's sort of a young idealist, um, man trying to escape the sort of world, you know, in one way that, you know, it's such an amazing thing with the siblings, um, that sort of absolute reliance on their trauma together and that, and then, <laughs> um, you know, trying to be, and he sort of, he never quite fits in the other world, you know, he wants to be part of this modern world as an inventor and that. So his sort of 
wardrobe changed along with Lucille's. He was very much a reflection of her in that way. And Guillermo wanted him to stand out in the world of Buffalo, both siblings, that um, in their world, their old um, antique sort of dream world, um, the cold world of Cumbria, they're much more a part of that environment and they're wearing the clothes of their parents. And when we come into the world of Buffalo, um, they almost become like black shadows against the golds and things of Buffalo. So in, in a way, you know, there's always talk about how obvious some of this is, but when you realise he's um, creating more of a melodrama, you know, it's like Betty Davis, whatever happened to Baby Jane or Sunset Boulevard, you know, yes. there's a thing that allows you to accept the rules. You know, I think uh, when you understand that kind of form of hammer horror and all of that, you know, you know who the baddies are in all of this sort of worlds, and 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 he wanted them to sort of just be like black ink in there. So we spent a lot of time trying to find fabrics that did that, but also suggested the age and things and and of that world. So, um, and and Tom had a lot to do with that with the fit and things like that. Again, it's working. He had, you know, he has these beautiful long lean um proportions and that so really it wasn't hard dressing him and, right. <laughs> and working with it you know you, you're looking at the physicality of your actor and again in discussion with them you're you know you're, you're going well this is your physicality and then what's your character's physicality so sometimes you're working with it and sometimes you're choosing to work against it so all these things are part of that dressing and proportion and things like that um, is a massive part of it, and I, um, lovely cos, um, uh, lovely Sands Films did all his shirts and that. And in contrast to Edith's Machine World, you know where all the suits and that was coming under the industrial world, all their clothes were made by hand, um, hand stitched and things. So it makes a difference to the feel of something, um, and the way the bodice sits and things like that. So they all their clothes were handmade. Right. Wow, that's beautiful. Like such attention to detail. But also what you're no, saying is... the luxury of only a few characters. <laughs> right. <laughs> but what you're saying is... 43 Tom... minutes is like three people going mad in a horror house. <laughs> <laughs> and also you're saying Tom could show up to work in a paper bag and we still yeah, would have totally. all loved him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally, totally, totally. Yeah. We had a few paper bags around. But... <laughs> right. <laughs> all right, Kate. Everything has been leading up to this moment for me i have been wanting to talk about this specific <laughs> dress. My favorite we all have different favorites it's so funny but yeah. we're gonna get to dress that. up a lot i talk about this dress to anyone who will listen we are talking about lucille's famous <laughs> red gown it's incredible it's just i love the details the spine the way it looks like blood on the floor which i think you call it the blood splatter dress what, yeah. what do you call this dress oh, yeah the, um, the blood the drop of blood I think drop was, of blood you know this was going to be a black the black dress you know we were, originally the rules were that she'd stay in the same dress you know in the black dress that we see her in the picnic scene and do that and then a very sheepish looking Guillermo came in because I think he realized everyone was up against it he's very good with us <laughs> and he goes yeah. <laughs> oh I think we need a different dress for that and he was right and and he wanted the image of a, of blood, you know, it was all tied up to the ring, the mother's ring and things. So, um, you know, again, the lead comes from your director and then you take those images. And I've been looking at lots of 19th century anatomy paintings and that there's some beautiful paintings by a Frenchman. I can't remember his name, but the backs of the gowns and that had all the muscle work in them. And that's where all the language for pleating came in into this um, show, as well as being kind of a beautiful sort of impressionist um you know, symbolist romantic language and that. So, you know, to to get the richness of colour. But a lot of that came from the form of muscle and um, 
you know anatomy and the spine actually i i think i did again with this this is where real research is great i found some research for um you know the whole ribbons of the spine i knew i wanted a spine motif in there and then i found an image of something that worked for that and we and we took it and exaggerated as we did with um Eda's hand belt you know so sometimes i take things and then sort of play with them a bit and change the scale and things like that and you know, um, Jessica is a wonderful performer and made the most of it. You know, I think the, a dress like this only works when someone can carry it off like that, the most impractical mm-hmm. dress in the world, you know. And <laughs> put on, you know, she again, these actors are so wonderful. You know, when they're, when they're part of it and they want to own it, they make it work. And, and and the lesson to learn is if you're doing something your actor doesn't want, they won't make it work. <laughs> but these, right. these guys were so much a part of the process. And and so that's where it came from. And I, I think the collars and things, um, you know, uh, I think I I bought the garnets for this. I think it was one of those things where we were slowly running out of money. So <laughs> <laughs> um, but having those drops of blood and taking some of the reference from sort of the older, um, you know, um, Victorian Elizabethan, you know, each period echoes other periods. Um, something I found a lot in the works of paintings and 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 fashion. Actually, you know, a lot of them, you know, when you look at the um, Regency period, that's evoking the neoclassical world and that. So, you know, you find these sort of things that sort of back up your storyline for these characters and that. So that's why she sort of comes from that world. And of course, the jewels in her hair echoed all of that, so that you'd catch the light and things. But really, that endless pleating and that was all hand pleating. Uh, which was fantastic but because we had tight budgets and that we had and again this was thanks to my assistant and that at the time and the team again the wonderful team that I worked with had lots of systems of um you're taking trains off and putting them onto the next dress and the next dress and partly this <laughs> knowing your director and you know when this was all great in the ball scene where you have a, a a ball scene but when we were doing all the pleating for Edith and Lucille and Allerdale you know, Guillermo goes, oh, we're going to wet the floors and we're going to bring in a bit of rain and then red clay and that. And you're going, oh, the uh. coming out as it goes. So, but you, again, it's knowing your director. So we built lots of trains that we could then pin onto the next dress and that so that um, we weren't building a horrendous amount of dresses. We could take elements and do that. And we did that with Lucille's um, passamentary that we created as well. So, you know, there's certain, certain amount of practical stuff, but this dress came from the image of a drop of blood and um, it was a, a very much a Guillermo moment. And then I just worked with it and developed it for him, really. So, yeah. It's, it's amazing. I mean, honestly. There was a lot of train fluffing. There was a lot of train fluffing. Yeah. <laughs> I would I do anything. Well. I had, you could be a sleeve fluffer on the show or a train fluffer. <laughs> I would do anything to travel back in time to fluff this damn train. I mean, this is a top five costume of all time. It is. That's so funny. Oh, thank I, you. Yeah. If you ever need like a, if you do like a Kate Holly exhibit, <laughs> like hit us up so I can fluff that train. It is I talk about the stress all the time. It just so yeah. Funny. Well, give me a call afterwards. There might be something. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> um, one element I am obsessed with when it comes to Lucille is this hat. Yeah. Uh, I always thought it looked like a death death mask of some sort. Reminds me of Edith. Yeah. yeah. And and again, the burden of these mothers and parents on these kids. You know, Edith takes her. You know, almost the. Um, the mother, um, her presence all the time um, in mourning imagery, but the same for Lucille and, and Thomas. And, um, 
you know, her, their mother is a very big focus in their life too. I love it when Gemma gets into sort of um, matriarchy and, and <laughs> Um So, no, that was it. And, and I was actually sort of playing with those. I, you know, I love the um, symbolists and all that part of the world, as does Guillermo. So, you know, it's just finding different languages that changes the way you deal with costume and the shadow. And again, it's you're, you're counting on the audience to be part of that game in that way and understanding that again, these are sort of, you know, things that are sort of here. It's not, it's not a, a, a period fashion of the time, but I take the silhouette and I play within it. So absolutely, absolutely the idea there. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I, so after the first time I even saw it, I like had to go back and I was like, wait, what is on top of her head? And yes, you, the, you're just pulling up the mother's, um, the mother ghost and that, and that was absolutely the brief to echo um, the gravestone and the wonderful guy Davis designed the gravestone and the silhouette of this so that informed the costume so you know again this is understanding how to work with your collaborators in the team and of course Guy Davis is a wonderful long-time collaborator of Guillermo's and that too so we had a lot of fun and um, yeah often with Guillermo too it's understanding and I, I tend to do this in the work anyway you're always looking at your um, actors and characters in silhouette against the landscape and they're either reflecting it or they're not these are all decisions that you make so you're always you know um uh you know long shot and and big scale or intimate and that and Guillermo always asked me to reflect those things and, and play with them so I work closely with him and Guy on Mother Ghost there's a lot of corridor action and all sorts of things going on mm-hmm. and so um yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then and we, I think the thing is with all of this, and this is the joy of working with um, Guillermo and with a team that constantly talk to each other, because sometimes, you know, the way things happen so fast now, you don't have time and it's so tempting to just sit in your world going, shit, I've got to get all this shit done and, um, you know, to, to do that. But when you take the time to understand what other departments are doing, the set dressing department um, um, and de- set decoration, the props department the special effects the visual effects and when you understand what every single department is doing here and makeup importantly then then you're all collaborating and you can have this discussion you know Guillermo would always give us we sit around a table and discuss color palette for hours and remove colors from the palette that he didn't want and you know and then it was the range within and and sometimes it's about letting another element of um uh your team takes center stage. You know, sometimes it's more important for that element to take um, the foreground and for you to actually step back. And so there's there's that learning to give and take. It's not always, hey, it's us in the foreground. You know, it depends on what the beat of the story is about at that moment um, and how important it is. But I, I love all these links that happen and it makes for a richer, deeper language. And then it tends to create a language that answers and solves problems more than creating them you know you then you start to get to know your world and you're going ah these are the rules of the world and this is how I work within it so that's a classic example mother ghost there of that and of course we had the wonderful Doug Jones oh yeah, yeah. we're we're big yeah. Doug Jones fans yeah. over yeah. here oh and it's lovely I'm um, seeing him as sort of um panto dame yeah. <laughs> he likes a lot about in um fittings and that's so it's quite extraordinary I've never met anyone like him and then he can be so delicate in that so it's um you know, uh, although the waist measurement went up significantly compared to our leading ladies. But, you know, ag- again, it's you, nothing's complete until all these elements are there. You know, I don't think Mother Ghost would be complete without the gravestone to answer to it or the performer inside it. So, 
it's it's always amazes me what you learn every time I do a show and every time I do a character I learn lots of things and sometimes they aren't always successful but I do believe in you know there's lots of things I look back and go oh oh that was a not not a great moment or that was a fantastic moment but it's part of the process and you have to fail sometimes and um hopefully you get better at making those decisions but I always want to think that you should continue being brave and I think it's interesting in this world that we're now that certain language and that becomes you know but we only see it this way look at Shakespeare and the number of productions that you see of um you know Hamlet or anything there are a million ways to do something and none of it's wrong and some are better than others and I think that's our job as artists and designers to do that so uh so kate when edith arrives at crimson peak i actually find the scene to be quite hilarious because you know she that's couldn't... a puppy on dog there don't you like a bu- named after the butterfly oh really yeah there you go another <laughs> little jewel for you another little demo joke there you go i love it yeah. uh edith is so colorful so girly so feminine and she doesn't realize she's walking into the most dark depressing <laughs> garbage piece of shit house you could ever go to and it's it's perfect it's so funny was that like your intention that kind of like well, show I love like that it's funny i think that's fantastic and also teaches me to be really um careful about what the audience are reading <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's phenomenal. It's just like she shows up and you're like, wow, this place really sucks. And she's like, oh, I'm so excited. Well, (laughs) well, I'll tell you what it is. And and maybe it's something, again, it's something, but it is an interesting thing about what's missed or not in beats of stories. But Mm -hmm. when um, they murder her father, Thomas has actually married her. So she's coming as a bride to Allerdale. and. uh, And and it didn't seem the right moment for a big romantic um, white dress. And I was thinking again, because her language was a sort of cornucopia of flowers and then, you know, as you come into the winter, things change. But um, I we handmade all these um, violets because violets were a symbol of mourning for the Victorians and remembrance. So oh. it was sort of like, mm. this was sort of a, um, a more down-to-earth version of a bridal um ensemble really um wow. you know, I didn't see that the father. no no it was, it was just interesting it was just one of those um yeah those things and and also I think I'd been looking at a painting and and maybe I didn't quite sort of work with that but the the flowers were definitely from that that sort of um you know remembrance and mourning and then you see the same outfit again sort of stripped of the flowers which was a sort of is a, a nice little joke about um you know uh <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, it really speaks to <laughs> it. Really speaks to like the genius of you and your team, and like those details that you know sometimes they get oh, lost. I get, a bit us obsessed. It's so... I get a bit obsessed. Yeah, no... <laughs> that's why you're the best. <laughs> oh, oh, the bathroom. Yes, this is honestly one of my favorite looks. I feel like I've already said that, but this is one of my favorite looks because it's this crocheted <laughs> lace. It's like, oh, she doesn't know she's getting trapped here. Uh, did fabrics and textiles play an important role for these costumes? Huge. There was a number of things because, of course, when Guillermo said, oh, we're doing a Victorian thing and then, you know, make it real and all of that. So, you know, that was the initial brief. And, um, you know, actually there's very few original garments that you could get away with and put there. And there's very few um, uh, braid things of the period. So we used it as a stepping point and inspiration. Of course, we had to do multiples of things as well. So there's, again, practical leads sometimes, you know, contributes to the um, problem solving in a more creative way. And um, I think also there was, this was a show that when we did the breakdown, when you do your script breakdown, you realize there's so many, I've never done so many nightgowns and dressing gowns before in my life. 
but and it's like how do we do this and sort of bring the sophistication of buffalo in there and this is actually um a piano shawl this is made up of a piano shawl we found a vintage piano shawl oh wow and and sort of draped the sort of um you know again looking at the paintings of um and engravings of mukha and all of those um symbolists and all those painters and so it was a it was a piano shawl that we turned into a dressing gown you know it was a you know an original piece so it was one of those places where we can utilize that and and also i think and she's a a bride in her home and then she's got to live with her (laughs) (laughs) sister-in-law and you're being ready for your beautiful romantic night and you know you've got face of doom looking at you but you know the the wardrobe created from a a modern woman in in buffalo and and you know wanting to look beautiful for her husband and, and she would have a beautiful wardrobe of these things so it sort of speaks to that world a bit as well so um and again the little doomed puppy on there in the picture (laughs) (laughs) and actually i'm looking at this photo that you've got here i don't know if the audience can see it and i'm going yeah there's doug jones hiding behind the screen or (laughs) no the audience will see the pictures eventually once we edit it but i I think when i work with um it's a very painterly approach to things and it's sort of you know it, it is very much trying to create a painting and you have to have many brushes in your, you know, um, in your kit and things. And a lot of things that we had started off with, we also over dyed and reprinted over and added depth of color and that. And I think one of the challenges when you're also dealing with, this is sort of slightly going off subject, but it's one of my, uh, it's an ongoing process of frustration and excitement, but the digital process of filmmaking now, as opposed to film does cause some, um, you know, challenges for wardrobe and things of like course. that and, and the way it flattens things out or highlights every single detail. So <laughs> you're reliant on, I mean, Dan Lauschton, um, the wonderful Dan, um, Guillermo's DOP, we did lots of camera tests. And this is Guillermo helping everyone to do their job and be as prepared as possible so we know what we're going to get and what's going to work as he develops a language. And I, I love that about working with him, you know, there's safety in it. You know, you're not going to get, you know, this is about a process trial and error. Does that work? No, it doesn't. And all these fabrics, mother ghost, everything, we put that in front of the camera constantly to test things, put it together with fabrics that the set um, decorators and that we're using wonderful Shane with all his um, fabric upholsteries and that the scenic artists with their walls we'd constantly have these sort of little sort of workshops and that where these things were tested and the great thing about Guillermo is that then that happens you know it's not like oh and then we've changed it all on the day (laughs) so (laughs) um you know it's a it's a it's it's giving people the time to do their work that's great I like this one too because oh, like it's I feel like Edith <laughs> is like accepting her new life now and almost growing in uh to the house. Uh was this intentional with this piece? Um oh yeah, absolutely. And sort of taking it into the sort of the darker tones, you know, she's either going darker or fading as as her life um also um does here. And again, this was another painting I found with those colors, you know, it's sort of, you know, in some ways there's again the practical mixed with the creative and we were sort of trying to on our budget work out how we can sort of shift the elements up and we're in a world of winter now and and she's you know it's sort of that wonderful sort of she's in her late autumnal tones and that so it's it's definitely working that and again actually the little train at the back is a period train called the little butterfly mm. um, you know, the swallowtail butterfly oh, on the that's back. amazing so, well, it's just things, you know, it's just things that you find as you research, and then I dump it all, and then sometimes they just make <laughs> their way back in. And and actually, you know, the Victorians, you know, we had this wonderful lady, Lorene, um, 
on our crew and she was she's um, a milliner and she makes the most exquisite flowers and things and we bring in um, wonderful buyers would bring in all these little antiques and that and she these were little um sort of plummy berry things sort of made from antique millinery velvets that she hand dyed and leaves so it all comes from a period research but we created it to fit the language of the film and things so um she was always sort of a you know Edith's world was sort of luscious and things until she started fading and that so you know all of this all the passamentary and everything was created for this wow I am not ashamed to say that Lucille Sharp is my favorite character. Yes, she makes some questionable choices. I don't care. She's amazing. And, Jessica's and amazing. one of yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jessica Chastain's amazing. One of my favorite looks is this blue, dark blue look because she is literally to me feels like she's just grown into the house. Like she is Crimson Peak in this moment. And I just wanted to give you a moment to talk about this look. It's so cool. Oh, okay. That's exactly the brief from Guillermo. You know, he wanted the walls to be cyan and his thing was, his instruction to me was when we're in Allerdale, she and Thomas are part of the walls. And and it became, I think it's the whole relationship to the house. It's like a, you know, it's a metaphorical umbilical cord. You know, they're tied to this thing. It's their their fate as well, you know, and she, she never leaves the house. So um, literally in every way, um, her trains became longer and longer to reflect that, you know, in certain corridor shots. It's very funny, actually, because my um, I did all the costume drawings and my assistant pulled me up on it, the wonderful Renee, and she goes, but mother, you're always, they called me mother, you always do <laughs> costumes from the back, all these drawings are from the back, and everyone wants to know what's at the front. And I go, <laughs> well, it's because we're always walking down long corridors, you know, the whole thing you can see. And Guillermo spent a lot of time um, working with um, Tom and Guy, and the team on those beautiful corridors and they like right. right and and the whole um so that imagery became part of it and there was a beautiful line in the script um describing um the um how the exterior of the house clad clad in a withered vine and it also reflects um the barrenness of um Lucille you know not having children and all of that so it became a metaphor for all these things so we found another little one tiny leaf that had come from some antique piece of um uh trim that we'd found somewhere and we we used that vine language that was um, part of the house that was wrapped wrapping the house as a, mo a motif for her dress so we spent um I think they're oak leaves so we spent quite a while working out how to do this with a piece of cording and then when we knew what we were doing we got all the girls into um wonderful team and they were women um so a team of eight spent three weeks making all these oak leaves and that and then the acorns are american acorns and and jessica loved it because it sort of felt like claws and it, that was reflecting the architecture of the corridors at the time and it was a spine down her back and so that with the train and everything helped her sort of feel part of it and Jessica I think is actually wearing eight inch heels at this point wow, um, wow. I always um you know a lot of our actors you know it's all illusion as well and sort of trying to create the height and of course Tom's very tall so trying to make both siblings sort of feel equal in that way but I loved, I think I, I loved working on this and it was sort of um, because of everything it meant, really. And and again, sort of, you know, we again, with that wonderful um, um, element of Guillermo wetting down floors <laughs> using right. mud, we had to <laughs> utilise these things. And I think we did multiple um, versions of this dress to sort of answer to the moment. You know, it's like um, 
uh, you know, the, he plays a lot with scale and illusion. And with both these um, female characters, Guillermo would, um, you know, play with, you know, again, working with the props and set dressing team, you know, furniture was scaled up or made small. And we had to do the same with clothes. And um, uh, there's a lot of playing with that. And it was some things quite subtle and you wouldn't notice, but we we were part of that process and creating that illusion with Guillermo. Right. It's it's just so beautiful, the decay of it. And I think the coolest thing I've ever heard a designer say is working, designing from the back because of the corridors. I mean, that's <laughs> going to stick with me for a while because you're right. Yeah. This is a corridor heavy film. And that's why it's so cool. You have, you know, your pattern going, and what's on the front? It's like, one of the most uh uh corridor heavy scenes i guess is the chase scene at the end with this fabulous nightgown uh can you talk a little bit about its role in the film absolutely um again the lead comes from a director you know he talked about the house that breathes this house breathes and for me it felt really important to have fabric that responded to movement. You know, I, when you understand the language of the film that he was making, that's quite melodramatic and touches on a lot of those sort of, um, there's lots of corridors, lots of staircases. So movement was a big part of it. Then there was um, the the big motifs of Lucille being the moth and Edith being the butterfly. So those were big motifs that affected the color palettes of what they wore the the detail and decoration i I don't like to use the word decoration but the detail (laughs) i don't like trim i'm notorious for not liking trim so i don't use that word but you know it was essentially so that becomes part of the language and the color palette and and when you look at a lot of guillermo films he actually loves ombre and and that world and i think it's the relationship to environment again you know that this this house of blood is on clay is seeping up through everything and and through the floorboards you can't wash away the stain of the sins and all of that so you know all of these things have to be thought about and with this nightgown there's there's scenes um with the wonderful poisoning cup of tea and the chair as edith becomes sicker and sicker with the poison and you know, his brief to me was, you know, we want to make her feel smaller and smaller. So I had to make the sleeves bigger. I think I did a whole exercise at the beginning of this film with the silhouettes of both women sort of going, well, how big is a big sleeve? And, and the period <laughs> goes, oh, there's such gigantic sleeves. Well, the period actually had gigantic sleeves. And we yeah. mm-hmm. um a beautiful Christine from Sands Films had a, an original garment from Worth. And, you know, when you looked at those, they weren't just sort of gathered in. There were some of those sleeves, just even the top half and what we look at as a classic leg of mutton sleeve, had three and a half metres of fabric in it. And, you know, so there's all of the actual, uh, again, the reality of something can be really a creative answer to stuff. And so we, and I, I wanted her to feel fragile and more and more transparent. So she's almost like a sort of um, a gossamer, you know, um, cocoon kind of, world and and very vulnerable and that so she sort of fades and becomes sort of you know more x-ray like and things so it was a lot of a lot of work within that and we had to make many of these 90s um <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, almost, it's almost like she's becoming a ghost like in her own right like she's like transitioning into like yeah. that yeah. wraith not to use a lord yeah. of the rings term yeah. but she's like kind yeah. of transitioning yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's a wonderful thing about Gothic literature and, and um, filmmaking that there are there, there's those languages that you can use and keep looking at and reinventing and things. So, yeah, it was it was great working on that. They had to do a lot of work that 90. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and 
the other fabulous <laughs> gown in this scene is Lucille's with that uh, that like little robe over it just sets it uh, perfectly but, for me uh, well, what was your idea behind this one well again again it was first of all ah oh, how do we make these endless 90s and light gowns have meaning and you know support the characters and and what Guillermo wanted to do but his he and Jessica felt that she really needed to be free at this point you know when all the cards are on the table and the discoveries are made about the relationship of the sharp siblings and the incest and all of that there was a sort of she wanted to be free and just it's almost like years of everything came out and she said I just want to be flying around and <laughs> and and also um there's a sort of still a sensuality about it and that and we'd um, so we use the finest, um, you know, that whole scene when she's run, chasing Edith and running down endless staircases in those heels. Um, <laughs> we chose again, really? again, yeah, yeah, no, she, Jessica's amazing, amazing. Wow, that's I mean, crazy. Oh, health and safety, maybe not. And she goes, I'm wearing <laughs> and I'll make them work. And she did, and she, she was hats off to her. And, um, but but to make um, the moment work for the action, this is where it almost becomes a stunt thing. It wasn't about oh, nineties and cotton or linen or anything. Or so it was. We chose. Um, I think we chose almost like a, the finest habitai because we wanted to be able to exaggerate every single moment and and set a um, you know exaggerate all of those things. So it became about that um, really, and and it took her into a different place from all these constricted gowns and things that she'd be wearing. It was. Lucille as we hadn't seen her before so it was a classic um example of again working with your actors and understanding their need for that moment and then letting that inform the design process wow uh, so Kate I am a huge nerd on like the costume <laughs> breakdown process I mean mm. I love when things get messy dirty and they say beware crimson peak for a reason because there is blood there is clay yeah. there is dirt this is snow Take us back. This must have been an absolute nightmare, but also like the perfect nightmare to work well, I, on. I think with. I've got a photo of three crates of shoes coming from Pompeii of silk covered yellow boots for <laughs> Edith because we were all happy chipping along. And what we this the yellow dress was what we called the Nancy Jew dress because she was always snooping down corridors. And, um, you know, and then Guillermo said, No, I'm going to have clay and mud and I want the ombre of clay coming up the dress. And, and then you go, Oh my God, you know, so. <laughs> don't want to compromise on the materiality and that but we have to be clever because there's not an endless budget or time and things like that but you know shoes are a big thing um again understanding your director when we read the script um i think in the opening scene in contrast this breakdown to the scene we see first see edith and buffalo walking along the boardwalk the i think the um one of the paragraphs in the script breakdown is you know we see feet um, boots walking along the the duck boards and so you go okay that's where his camera is going to be you know that's where my time needs to go into the petticoat and the boots and things so and I love boots it's hard to always justify them I've worked with producers go and we're not spending money on boots and I go well it depends <laughs> where the camera's going to land you know or you say you swap out boots and maybe they're wearing gum boots underneath a pair of dress and you don't know that until the camera changes and we're on you know so the, again it's a practical thing but I, I think breakdown is just a part of Guillermo's language and it's not breakdown. It's part of the um, metaphorical world that he's in and that. So you treat breakdown in a not fanciful, but it's a more painterly way. So um, it, it, again, it's always in relation to the landscape, even on Pacific Rim, I think we had, um, you know, construction workers and that, and they reflected the landscape. And right. so did, 
kaiju workers they all became stained with the blood of the blue blood of the kaiju and that so everything had that so you know it's just a language that is part of unique to him and his world so um and it becomes a heightened thing because of it so um yeah and just endless blood and when i have to say when gemma says he's using rain it's never a little bit of rain. It's always torrential. And we have, it reminds me of a story when we have, you just had this, what I love about him is that you can do, be doing something fairly kind of standard like Pacific Rim and then you'll have a scene with nuns. He loves nuns. I love, I love all of this <laughs> in every show. And, um, and, but he had torrential rain going. So all the hoods and things, and, you know, we had these giant hoods that the nuns wore, but they couldn't be done in linen. We had to make them out of a sort of formed plastic because literally the water was so torrential, it acted like drain guttering on drains of roots. <laughs> you know, and all this water would tip out of these poor ladies. Yeah. So, you know, so again, it's this um, amazing balance all the time between practical and, and creative with him. And I think, they help solve problems and and lead you a certain way. So it's it's just a big part of his language, and I I love that. I love that the world is always stained in its um, you know materiality and that. I I think it makes it very organic. It's a very organic way to work, and I I love that part of the process with Guillermo. Right, Guillermo's a go big or go home type of director. It sounds like <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So far, our final question in the end: yeah. our our favorite brother and sister couple <laughs> meet their demise, <laughs> and they reappear as ghosts. And I feel like most people, when they look at this, they're like, "Oh, yeah. the CGI." But I could tell oh. that there's a real costume underneath there. Yeah, it was so, all handmade. It was all made specifically for that. Yeah. Wow, it's it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah kind of take us back. It's just looking at the colors and the white, especially on Thomas. It's really intricate. Yeah, and and it was sort of about the clay and all of those things, sort of weeping the clay of Allerdale and that. You know, he's a wonderful tragic romantic hero and that. So. Um, you know, and we'd we'd spend ages testing how much is too much. You know, Gemma would always be part of that process. And but it was really just again about the environment and him being trapped there forever in that way and his sacrifice. Um, you know, so it was sort of and again the painterly language. And I think you find that in the devil's backbone and things, you know, there's little motifs that are very Guillermo that come through. And uh, but we had to work again with hair and makeup, and it, this only works because the hair is now white instead of dark, and because of the, the makeup test took us to this palette. So everyone has to be part of that collaboration, absolutely. Right. Oh. And, and the same with Lucille um, becoming a ghost with black. And I, I can't. It was a long time ago. I was trying to remember, but um, <laughs> you know, again, the clothes we tried painting things, and then in the end, we had to sort of make it again. So. Sometimes you try and do it, oh, we'll just paint it, but that doesn't always work, especially with, you know, fabrics that you choose and that. So often you're having to find a new series of technical things to answer to the moment and really most of the time ends up being practical and that's a great way to go. In many ways, I would say being practical rather than relying solely on visual effects is a great way to sort of, A, it's great for your actress and actor, but also you know, there's some element of being able to control in an uncontrollable world. You know, once you've done your work, there's a whole thing onwards. But again, Guillermo's leading all of that. So you trust that he's got his overall vision there and and he knows what he wants. You know, sometimes all these all these um, wonderful directors, you know, they all have their own different language and way of working. And actually my crew say this to me, if only we had a microphone, microchip that we could just download what's in your head. And, um, <laughs> and I say that about my directors and, and that, but you have to learn to trust them because everyone's got a different way and process. And it's not always, you know, it's never, 
it's not always a direct, I want this or do that. It's a discovery in that. So you've got to trust that it's instinct and somewhere along the line, if you test it enough, you'll get there. So, you know, um, you learn a lot on every project. Um, every project's different and, yeah, it's wow. part of the interesting part of the process. Well, if you do start selling Kate Holly microchips, please put us at the top of the reservation yeah, you know, list. It's very yeah. dark. It's very dark. <laughs> I think one of my um, my supervisor and one of them said, "Oh, Kate Holly, I'd hate to be inside your head." <laughs> like, we're paid for. We're paid for our yeah. madness. So maybe <laughs> most people, but not Elizabeth and I. Um, so, Kate, we would love to play a quick little game with you. Yes. Would you be willing yeah. to play? Okay, I can't guarantee you'll like the answer, but we'll try. <laughs> the one costume to rule them all. Spencer, are you ready? I'm so ready. Oh, God, this is horrible. Now I'm like a rabbit in the headlights. <laughs> well, I'll go first so you can have some time to think of yours. Okay. I'm like, even though you've had 10 years, but... <laughs> Uh, I already said it, but my one costume rule them all is the drop of blood dress. I mean, it's, it's it goes beyond just this film. If I were to think of top five costumes in my history of being a costume design journalist, this is yeah. one of the top five. So I love this oh, dress. Thank you. Yeah. Elizabeth? Yeah, it, that's definitely your one costume to rule them all. Like, seriously, you talk about it. All the time, all the time. We'll be watching something, and he's like, "Yeah, it's really like Lucille's dress and crimson pea." I get like crimson pea vibes from this. I'm like, "Okay, Spencer, we get it. It's your favorite." Uh, my one costume to rule them all, though, is Edith's final nightgown, mm, just because yeah. it's the house that breathes. I love that the costume reflects that, the way it works with the light, the whole environment. I just think it's just stunning and perfect. Mm -hmm. all right kate things in the snow i'm gonna if i say this you're gonna hate me uh -oh. you? And you hate all of them no no well it's you know again you love and hate all of them literally because they have different things on different days on schedules and all of that but I, can i answer as an element sure okay the happy belt for me was the thing that was the the starting point of everything for me the hand belt that edith wears I think oh. in the scene and mm -hmm. all of that. So it's a piece of mourning jewelry that we took, and then we created these ivory hands that framed her waist. And the belt is made of human hair, and it's oh right, yes. Way. So for me, it represents how I think, and and that I've got a particular fondness for those little ivory hands that someone's selling on the internet, and I don't get any money <laughs> off it. But anyway, <laughs> but I. I, and I, I, I think it's just because it represented all the Victorian language that we've been looking at with, with mourning and death and and their approach to death and that we always think of them as being slightly horrific. You know, the, the Victorians with all their dead portraiture of, you know, loved ones sort of sitting up with a post up their back. But actually, um, it was their way to um, cherish a loved one. And we didn't have camera. You know, the cameras weren't accessible like they are now and all of that. So I think the hand belt is my favorite element. I find it so it's hilarious that you thought that we thought that would be a bad answer. <laughs> the, the hand belt made of human hair. <laughs> That's a brilliant answer. Yes. I'm probably not satisfying. So now you have to find a photo of that. <laughs> oh, we'll find it. Yeah, we'll find oh. it for sure. We have yeah. some time. Well, Kate, this has been brilliant. I've been, we've been looking forward to this for such oh, a long time. Oh, and I'm yeah. so excited. This was 
This is great. And honestly, Crimson Peak is one of the greatest costume design films ever. We've been saying that for a while. And it's an honor to have you here. Oh, why didn't we fix that? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I have to say, Mike, Mike, again, you know, you you are, um, you know, we all benefit from the crew and people that we work with around us. So that's all part of it. And it was a very special alchemy. It was a very special project. And I'll always be grateful for it. It was a wonderful piece to work on. And I... Um, you know, it was a funny when it came out, but I love that it's found its own following and understanding. And, uh, you know, it's we're all very fond of it. And um, dear Tom, who passed away, our production designer, it was a magical time. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, wow. <thank> you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it really means a lot to a lot of people, this film. And, you know, as the years go by, I think people are starting to discover it more. And, you know. This has been a real treat. Thank you so much, Kate. This is brilliant. Thank you. All right. (laughs) Lovely to speak to you both and lovely to meet you properly. Really lovely. What's up, costume nerds? This is Spencer, co-host and producer of the Art of Costume blogcast. I love the simple things in life. Free parking, air conditioning, and a nice comfortable hoodie. If you feel the same way, then I'm here to let you know that if you wanted to support our show, you can head over to theartofcostume.com slash podstore. There you can buy awesome blogcast merch through TeePublic, such as t-shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, and stickers. We even have a baby onesie for all those baby costume designers out there. To get your merch, head over to theartofcostume.com slash podstore. Thank you for all your support. It's been so long. And like before we did this, I listened to it again just like to refresh my memory. And I was like, oh, that interview was everything I wanted it to be. It was perfect. It was everything. Uh, just Kate Holly is the best. She is hilarious. She could be a stand up comedian. She's so funny. She's so funny. <laughs> and just all the insight she gave us into all the costumes. I love talking about yes. the breakdown of them. You know, I was excited to talk about the drop of blood address. Yeah. That blue dress that feels like it's growing into the house. Yeah. It's just. I finally got my suspicions about the hat. Yeah. <laughs> finally. <laughs> that was. I was so glad for that moment. I felt like, you know, we finally revealed the the mystery ink villain in Scooby-Doo. Yes. We pulled the mask off. So. <laughs> <laughs> it was just such a great interview. And I'm sure everyone at home is just jumping up and down, probably re-listening to it, which I recommend. Yes. If you got to give it another listen once, twice, three times, Go we support it. that. Yeah. Yes, we absolutely <laughs> do. And tell us you what your one costume to rule them all is or your one element, your one piece to rule them all as Kate, <laughs> Kate Holly chose. Um, and She's the boss. I was like, she, pick whatever you want, Kate. <laughs> this is your this is your movie. You can. Yeah, I mean, this is your podcast for all I care. Yeah, <laughs> like, we, you can do whatever you want. Whatever, whatever Kate Holly wants from us is what she gets. Um, 
But let us know your choice and leave us a little voicemail at 626-515-1826. Yeah, I know that you all have tons of thoughts and feelings about Mm -hmm. Crimson Peak. So just drop them all in. We know you we know you have it. Yeah, it doesn't have to (laughs) just be your one costume to rule them all choice. You know, just tell us whatever you feel about Crimson Peak. Yeah. (laughs) With that, Elizabeth, that is the end of our official spooky season. Yes. It's the time of the year that we look forward to every year. And I can't believe it's over already. I know. I am a little sad, but we are going into next month with some spooky vibes. Spencer, (laughs) what are we watching next week? Yeah, we can't really quit the spooky too much. So we're kind of doing like a soft spooky to help us transition back into regular life, I would say. And we're sticking with spooky, scary homes. Maybe that's our theme. Yeah. So next week we are watching Disney's The Haunted Mansion, the new film which you could currently watch on Disney+. Plus. Yes. I'm so excited. I love this movie. Me too. I was shocked. I didn't think I was going (laughs) to like it this much. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) I'm just a big Haunted Mansion nerd. And, you know, it was a kid's movie, but it was was good. Like, what's wrong with it being a little bit of a kid's movie? I mean, it's in a theme park. So what did you all expect? (laughs) Um, Plus, it's in New Orleans, which you and I both love. I just love New Orleans. We went on a trip. I know I brought up on a podcast multiple times. We might go on another trip. (laughs) honestly uh, just to get back into our spooky new orleans vibes and i'm very excited that we'll be joined by a special guest Uh, i'm very excited about this because we've never done something like this before we are having our first costume concept artist as Mm -hmm. a guest and we're talking about jen hancock who was one of the artists on disney's the haunted mansion so she will be sharing with us her process her work and what it means to be a costume concept artist especially on the haunted mansion what a crazy crazy job um until then thank you all for listening don't forget to follow us on instagram at the art of costume pod tiktok at the art of costume don't forget to head to our merch store at theartofcostume.com slash podstore. Get yourself a spooky little hoodie because it is getting cold out finally mm-hmm. now that October is becoming November. And as always, don't forget to leave us a five-star text review on Apple Podcasts or rate us on Spotify. It really does help. Elizabeth, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, Spencer. And to all of you, have a spooky night. And beware of Crimson Peak. Whatever you do, do not enter the house. No. I don't know how many times we got to say it. No, don't don't trust random English baronets that come come interested your way. Don't trust them. Especially two siblings that seem to like really be into each other. Yeah. Just yeah. look for the signs. Just be careful, everybody. <laughs> be careful. <laughs> Happy Halloween. <laughs> The Art of Costume Blogcast is hosted and produced by Elizabeth Joy Glass and Spencer Williams. Our audio engineering and editing is done by Dan White. Follow us on Instagram at The Art of Costume Pod or visit theartofcostumeblogcast.com for all blogcast updates. If you want to support the show, go to theartofcostume.com slash podstore. For more costume reviews, deep dives, and interviews, 
head over to theartofcostume.com, a blog dedicated to highlighting the best in costume design. We not only watched a Art of Costume podcast favorite, Crimson Peak, mm-hmm. me and Spenter interviewed costume designer, <laughs> Kate Holly. You said my name wrong. What did I say? You called me like Spender or something. <laughs> did I? Yeah. You want to give that another go? <laughs> sure. Sorry. <laughs> Ha <laughs> <sighs> <sighs>